Hi there, Sean here. Before we get into this week's episode, a very quick thank you for listening to The Expansive. Please consider subscribing to the show if you haven't done so already. Simply hit the follow button inside the player you're currently listening on. Doesn't cost you anything, and it's guaranteed to make us smile, which makes your opposable thumbs pretty powerful, if you ask me. If you happen to be listening on Spotify, go ahead and scroll down to the Q&A section and let us know what you thought of the episode. You can also engage with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. Simply search for The Expansive Podcast and follow along. You can also watch this episode on our YouTube channel. All of the links can be found in the show notes. You're about to listen to episode 172 of The Expansive with John Sonnet and Eric Kruger. Okay, gents, take it away. Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Podcasts, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress comes from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and embracing change. My name is Eric Kruger, and I'm always joined by my co-host, John Sane. And we were speaking off air about the fact that maybe for this week, the expansive should be rebranded to the emotional. John, you want to tell us about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so much emotions <laughs> up in the air. It seems like everybody you speak to is going through something hectic. And the emotional roller coaster is right up there. I think this is the third time we're trying to record this podcast, just by the way, because every time we start, we're like, oh, that wasn't good. We're a little bit off center. We need to actually re-record. So this is the third time we're attempting to record this podcast because of the emotional podcast that we have part of. But even on top of that, yesterday I was in an event and I was introduced at the event, the co-host of the Expensive Podcast. So we are the Expensive <laughs> Emotional Podcast this week. Um, <laughs> Totally not expansive, but maybe retractive. So it's a, it's an interesting week with what's going on. You know, it's funny is that um, every time we've been trying to record this, we, we always have a chat before, you know, so we block our time, we have a bit of a chat, we catch up, and then we get into the pod. And usually, obviously, you know, we're focusing on like everything's happening, big movements, you know, gigs, et cetera. And this week, every time we've been speaking, it's been like, oh, man, this is happening. And this is, and by the time we get to the pod, we're like, ah, oh, we, we can't, we can't. So, so a preamble actually, uh, yeah. to the way. so I think, I think why we bring this up is we don't know when you're going to be listening to this pod, but if you're a, you're a listener that listens every week, this is the 24th of August, uh, 2023. It's a Thursday. I would imagine you've also had a bit of emotional week. I haven't spoken to anybody who's not having an emotional week. Uh, there's lots of movement, structural movements in people's lives from relationships to businesses, to health, to just structural things that are happening out there. So buckle up, um, find some stillness, uh, be patient with the process um, and just release and surrender into it, you know? And uh, we often... I had a friend who's moving to Italy that has bought a house in Italy, that has got a child into the schools in Italy. Everything is in line. She's been getting everything sorted. And the Italian embassy is like, ah, we can only get back to you end of October with the visas. But a kid's starting school on the 4th of September. She's in a panic. The house has got structural problems. And she sent me like a 10-minute voice note yesterday. And I said to her, look, we're all going through something, you know? And what happens when you get a spiritual practice <clears throat> of meditation or intention setting, we become entitled to living a life of flow. 
And I think it's in that entitlement that we let ourselves down because there is no entitlement or flow to surrender even more. Um, I want to say three things. Um, one is, one of the, the emotional charges for me in this week is that we dropped Axel off this morning to go for x-rays for his hips because he's been struggling with getting up. Axel, yeah, Axel is one of my, uh, one of my, my pups. So yeah, he's a, a Malamute and he's been struggling a bit to get up lately. And we think he just kind of injured one of his hips, but it might also be a dysplasia thing. But anyway, so I had to go drop him off at the bed this morning and like x-rays for a dog is so traumatic because like you have to drop them off. They get locked in a cage. Uh, eventually they get put under, then they do the hip x-rays and you know, it's not just a straightforward x-ray. They manipulate their hips so they become quite sore. And uh, the, obviously, like, there's also a bit of trauma because previously he had cancer. That same vet, uh, who, who was amazing, by the way, ended up removing one of his toes. So, like, there's just, you know, every time you go through this, it's like, it's not nice because they, they don't understand. And, like, you try to explain to them as much as you can, but they still don't get why you're leaving them there in this cage. But anyway, so, like, so we did that. And then uh, we took Jaeger to the beach because he came with us. And Jaeger's my, my other pup. And while we were walking there, you know, I was just thinking about that. I love being close to the ocean. It's always a place for me to recharge. And I was just reminded that there are low tides and high tides all the time, you know? Yeah. So um, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's like it's, everything is cyclical. So uh, that was a, a nice reminder for myself just about what we're going through. So that's point number one. Uh, point number two is that I was also reminded this week that when things feel like they aren't quite in flow, when you feel like things aren't going the way that you want them to go, you need to go back to the basics. And part of those basics are to look at your inputs. And we've spoken about this before, you know, lots on the pod actually, is that what you put in is going to be what you get out. And often when things get into a bit of a turmoil, you realize your inputs have kind of fallen apart. Like maybe you're not consuming uh, content that's bringing you into a positive state. Maybe your eating has dipped a bit. Maybe your hydration levels have, have dipped. So many things can go wrong in that state. But what we need to do is just go and find better inputs again so we can be in a better state, so we can show up in a better way. Th that's number two. And then the third thing is I, just, I wanted to give a shout out actually. I was messaged this morning by one of the listeners, Keith Barkley. He's an endurance cyclist. Um, maybe, maybe that's not his full-time profession, but he, he, he likes doing endurance races. And he listened to our, our pod on hydration and he sent me a link to a site called dripdrop.co.za. And I went to go check it out. It looks amazing, dude. You should also go have a look at it. Um, it is a, exactly what we spoke about last time. It is a way to add more electrolytes and minerals to your water. And actually on the site, they have all these use cases around like if you're traveling, even if you're sleeping, how you lose um, hydration in the heat, all these different use cases. And then they show how potent and how effective uh, this specific formulation is. So it's always great to hear from listeners and it's always great when they resonate with topics and can enrich us even more with their knowledge uh, and things that we don't know about. So thank you for that, Keith. That is such a, that that's a such a, that, Any, no, that, that's the whole part. Thanks everybody for joining. It was great to have you here. No, yeah. um, you know what? I was actually waiting for you to finish to talk about how important hydration is. You know, I have all of a sudden woken up to the fact that how important hydration is. And 
just having the electrolytes in the water while you're drinking it is actually a big game changer, you know, a huge game changer. And in Dubai, I was on that product called Humantra and it was about this guy who lost his brother to cancer. And then he researched this and he realized his brother was actually chronically, chronically dehydrated. And actually the whole human population is chronically dehydrated. And we're just not getting the right minerals into the waters anymore. So we have to start substituting these sort of things. So drip drop, Humantra, high rehydrate, whatever it may be, coconut water, all these things become incredibly important for just functioning better. You know what I mean? Having the oil in your system that's being charged. And, and, and so Keith, thanks so much for that. I've seen Keith online. I have never met him, but um, I have seen him online. So thank you so much for that, Keith. And I, I, I cannot, I cannot speak about hydration enough. Look, I mean, if you're watching this, I've got, I, at Sean, I specifically ordered two of these and I've got rehydrate with me here, but I've never seen drip drop. So I'm going to actually order some drip drop now. So thanks for that. Um, let's get into today's pod. So today's uh, episode, we, we thought we'd do something a little bit different uh, to our, our other episodes, which is we are being interviewed today by ChatGPT. So obviously, you know, AI has been this huge thing. ChatGPT has been at the forefront of it. And I went onto it uh, in the beginning of the week and I asked ChatGPT, are you familiar with the expansive podcast by John Sonner and Eric Kruger? And it said, yes, that's an incredibly, like, an amazing, amazing <laughs> podcast. Everyone should <laughs> listen to it. And, and, uh, no, it didn't. And go give it a five-star review. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think you lied there a little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, AI hallucinations. And so it, it said, um, I, well, I asked, you know, what are five questions that you would ask um, of the expansive to learn more about their personal experiences? And so it gave me five questions. And I thought what we could do for today's pod is to briefly take turns in answering these questions. So I'm going to tee us up and you can go first. The very first question is, can you share a significant personal or professional challenge you faced earlier in your career and how did you overcome it? What did you learn from that experience? I was always ambitious from a very, very young age. And I think my ambition was driven by the fact that I come from a single mom family and we quite literally didn't have pocket money. So I had to get out there and start operating on my own without realizing that's what not an eight-year-old kid needs to do. But anyway, neither did my mom, bless her. So at 13, I got my first job packing bags at spa. I became a personal trainer at 13, 14. In fact, I was at the body shop in Edenvale. Anyway, I worked really hard and I made a lot of money. And amongst my peers and friends, I was the richest. I remember when I was 18 years old, I had 20,000 rand in cash behind my clothes cupboards. And back then, dude, that was a lot of money. You know, I remember I used to count it often. Yeah, 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 I was rich, I was rich. And then I started my businesses. I got into restaurants, retail stores, vending machines. I mean, I could do no wrong. I had this sort of personality that was able to get things going and moving. And from a very young age, I was the most successful amongst all my friends, which was such a great feeling. And it was just, I could do no wrong, right? And by the time I got to 29, 30, I started making mistakes as you would. I had no guidance. And uh, I remember in one of my books, I wrote about the most dangerous, the most dangerous concoction in the world is high levels of testosterone and lots of money because you think you become invincible. And so I just made some silly decisions and quite arrogant in the way I was going about it because I mean, what else? I had a fancy car, lots of muscles, tattoos and lots of money, fancy house. I was ticking all the boxes, you know, I was doing no wrong. And then I went bankrupt and I went from 
six restaurants, four, uh, 60 vending machines, I mean, and a whole bunch of different things to minus 8 million rand. I changed my name to Carlos because I lost my car. Thank you very much. And uh, lost my house. I had to move into my friend's second bedroom. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was appalling. Lost my identity, lost who I was, got into a depression. And it was the most genius depression because I didn't know I was in a depression. But I was. Uh, I, I didn't call it a depression. I was just like, lost my confidence. And it took me a few years to get out, you know. And, and when I was like in my early 30s, I was paying six and a half, well, I was trying to pay six and a half thousand rand rent, which is like $300. <clears throat> and I couldn't pay it. From somebody who had sports cars and big car houses to no money to pay rent, it was really a, a hit to the confidence as your manhood. My biggest lesson of this is there are two types of people in the world. There are people that are running away from something and are people that are running towards something. And when you run away some, from something, you are running away from trauma. And when you're running towards something, you're running towards your excitement. And I was running away from poverty. I was running away from a lack of acknowledgement, not having a dad. And that anxiousness and running away always catches you because that is the subconscious imprinting you're putting into the world. And I didn't know this. Nobody was guiding me. In fact, because of this, I attracted business partners that didn't have the best intentions with me because desperation for acknowledgement or for money or for anything brings about abuse. And so you have to heal the desperation in order to be able to attract partners that have got your best interest at heart because ultimately you don't even have your own best interest at heart because you don't know any better. You were brought up in a world that didn't give you acknowledgement, that didn't have the money. So you thought, well, I have to kill myself to make money. I have to move out of my principles to make money. And that's what I did. And uh, I spent my early 30s just doing a lot of self-development, trying to figure out what had happened, trying to afford to pay for things which I couldn't afford. So it was a, I became a I became a, a Sweat 1000 instructor earning 220 Rand a session, which is like $10, you know, $15, $12, because I just needed to pay rent somehow, you know? And so my 30s were my lost years, and I really only began to find myself in my 40s again. So bankruptcy in my early 30s, the biggest lesson is running away or running towards. And don't fool yourself, because they both look ambitious. They both look goal-orientated. They both look impressive, but one is dying inside and the other one is hugely curious about what's going to happen next. And there's a, such a slight nuance that you need to become very clear with, with yourself. If you're fueled with adrenaline and anxiousness, that is not a good place because I, I, even in my talk yesterday, I was saying to them is that the flex of the future is a calm nervous system and a, and a clear mind, a heart that is relaxed because what is the point of being in a Porsche and on Prozac? What is the point of being in a Mercedes-Benz and having an alcoholic binging personality? Like, what is the point? There's no point. There's actually a zero-sum game you've lost. And so the lesson here is connect with yourself, trust yourself, connect with your heart, heal your trauma, and then allow this excitement to bubble up and to start now moving towards your highest excitement. Now, this is really what's happened in my 40s more than ever before. So that is my lesson. Sure. Powerful. Powerful. Thank you. Pleasure. Uh, I have a quick question. Um, how do you go from all those vending machines and all those restaurants to bankrupt? So what happened was um, I had a bunch of restaurants. I had all of this on the go, right? <clears throat> and, and one of my restaurants started faltering. Just the center changed, then the, this changed. I mean, the whole center was going through a change and 
They wanted me to do a, a shift, the, the stall, make it smaller because they had other plans for the center. So they said to me, okay, that's what we're going to do. So I agreed. We decided to, but as this is happening, the whole center's in construction. So my turnover is starting to drop, right? So now I'm having to put in cash that I had as backup. And after a few months of putting in cash, it wasn't getting any better. And my cash reserve started running out. And then we decided to close for renovations. And the closure was supposed to be two weeks and it became eight weeks. Which means that the regulars that I had started finding new restaurants. The center itself wasn't picking up like it was going to. My shop was smaller than ever before. And in this period of about 18 months while this is happening, I went to zero cash because I kept trying to prop this business up. I couldn't sell it while it was going through this. And I was stuck inside a lease that I couldn't get out of. And so when I turned around, I had to sell vending machines. I had to sell, I had to sell everything just to keep myself afloat because the amount of money, I had, I had a, quite a lot of cash, but running a bunch of different restaurants and one of them faltering, which means that your focus goes off everything else. You're like, your energy starts dropping, right? And so my energy starts dropping with all my other businesses as well. And when I turned around, I had no cash reserves. And at that time, all of a sudden, there was a problem with the gas and there's a problem. So I just, I just had no money left. Like the money ran out and I'd exhausted all my cash reserves. But meanwhile, I was living in a multi-million rand house. I had a multi-million rand car. Okay. I had like all these mm. expenses that were quite affordable. But as it started crumbling around me, they became less and less affordable. But by the time I got to the end of it, I didn't know what else to do. And so sold off all the assets, used that money, and then had to, had to declare bankruptcy. It was, it was, it was, I remember for six months before the, I, I decided to declare bankruptcy, I didn't sleep. I just couldn't sleep. And um, so that night that I was speaking to my mom and we decided that I was going to declare bankruptcy was the first night that I actually stepped well in six months. That's insane. Sure. All right. So um, to answer the same question on my side, something I've, I've just recently, you know, we've, we've spoken about this not too long ago on the pod uh, that I've just become so intensely aware of again is how powerful accretion is as a force in our lives. Yes. And there's that quote from Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's business partner that says, the number one rule is never interrupt compounding. Yes. And when I look back at my career, that's something I've done all the time. So yeah. my biggest interrupt challenge has been, <laughs> is, <laughs> I've, broken, I've broken those cycles over and over and over again. You know, when I was, yeah, yeah. when I graduated, I was a physiotherapist. Um, and over the, the few years that I started working in private, I was starting to build up a really nice practice. You know, at some point I was running a step-down facility, the entire, uh, you know, the entire facility was under my care uh, and my practice was operating in it. I was head of rehab there. there. There was potential to expand, to build other practices. But obviously, you know, during that time, I also realized that physio wasn't really the thing for me. In fact, I realized that almost immediately after I graduated and I tried to do different things, uh, but I knew that this wasn't the thing for me. And then as this practice was just building steam and building steam and building steam, uh, there was one day that I had to decide that I'm going to close it down and I'm going to do something else. Yeah. And start from scratch. And starting from scratch was the next thing was Better Man. And so I, I start Better Man. Um, zero subscribers, zero people listening to the, the podcast that I had, zero people looking at the videos. 
uh, build that up in about a year and a half, two years to 18,000 daily email subscribers, uh, a community that's thriving, events that we are doing with awesome brands like Dunhill and Montblanc. Um, I start coaching in it. We have like uh, people, like, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my sign off for the daily email was Acton on Verbo, which means actions, not words, which became my first, my first book. But I don't know if I ever told you this, like the community was so engaged that people got Acton on Verbo tattoos. What? Like I had a whole, co- yeah, yeah. I had a whole collection on my, on my phone of people who had sent me Acton on Verbo tattoos as a result of being in the community and reading the mails and like resonating with it so deeply. Probably about wow. eight guys that I, that I can think of off the top of my head. Wow. Yeah. So highly engaged. We did these masterminds. We were going to sell like mugs and merch and we're making people who do ties. Yeah. Like it was, you know, we were building the biggest community for men in the country. Wow. And as that was starting to hit its peak, what did I do? (laughs) I closed it down (laughs) and I started something new and I moved into the corporate space and I started working with executives and I started working with teams and I started getting on stage and speaking as a keynote speaker. And today, as I'm standing here, I think this has been the longest bout of accretion in one direction that I've been are you, working. Are you announcing your end of a keynote speaker today? Is this what you're doing no. on the pod? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> no. We are now compounding. Are you brother. compounding? Now okay. We, are in the, okay. The, we are now in the compounding um, stage of my life. Yes. So, the, the lesson for me out of this has been that the number one rule is never interrupt compound, but unless you have to, because I could have been compounding and building bigger physio practices, I think I would have been deeply unhappy with my life. That's such a wise approach. Yes. It, it's a trade-off that I had to make. And, and better man was, that was a very... Saying goodbye to the physio practice was easy for me because in my head, I've been out of that practice for so long. You know, I've, I've been wanting to do something else. Ending better man was tough. That was like, that was hard because we had this community of men and I felt when I, when I made the switch, I felt like I was letting all of them down. And it was also something that I really loved. But I also realized that what I want to be doing is to be playing at the highest level of business. I want to be working with those incredible leadership teams. I want to be speaking on stages across the world. And as much as I tried at that point to bring better men with me, I couldn't because everyone thought I'm the speaker that, that talks about masculinity. And so when I was approached to speak, you know, maybe three or four times this happened to me where people would say to me, but can you speak to women? You know, and I was like, oh, like, I see you in your mind, you have a box for me. And that box is, he's the better man guy who speaks about masculinity. And if I want to break that box, I need to move out of that box completely. And so initially I tried to bring better man with me. I tried to rebrand to like better X or, you know, like better X being a placeholder for better leader, better woman, better partner, parent, whatever you want to be. It never worked because you can't take something that is highly niche and make it more general. And so that was a tough, tough transition. And it, like, it's still painful for me today. And I've, I've tried to revive it many times because of a bit of guilt, I think, that I have around it. But again, you know, I think the path that I've chosen is the path that is truest to me. And unfortunately, what this has meant is that over the years, I've had to break that cycle of accretion. And of course, you bring some of it with you. But 
that's the way it goes. And I still believe it to be true, you know? Yes, but, but I think one thing overrides compound, following your heart. You can't be loyal to somebody who doesn't treat you well. You can't be loyal to a business that you don't love anymore. Compound, schmompound, because that's like whatever. And so I think it just takes some people to find what they're consciously happy about a little bit longer. You have to try a few things. Some lucky people find it in their early 20s and then build a business for 20, 30 years. I think sometimes they're just unhappy and they keep doing it because they can't get out as well and they find other yeah, hobbies. Sure. And I, I find a lot of the times the guys that do all the Ironman um, sort of trainings and stuff have got boring careers. And so they have to find excitement elsewhere. And so that's also okay. It's just not my way. I want to find excitement in everything I'm doing all the time. I don't want to categorize lack of excitement that I have to do. And then something else that I'm doing just to keep myself moving. You know? But good. I think, I think um, passion and, 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 and uh, following your heart is uh, more important than compound, to be honest. Because your life, your life is 70, 80, 90 years. And then what? And now you've stayed in something because you met me off? Whatever. Not a, I, not a fan of that, Tim. What I wrote down as a, as a, sort of soundbite is that a, a never interrupt accretion unless you need to, right? And that unless you need to is when you realize that you aren't heading to where you need to go. So like, yes, yeah, like, and now where I'm at, I want to, I, I want to compound. I want to accrete as much as I can. Uh, but, but don't do that at the expense of you feeling fulfilled and, and being happy. All right. So that was question number one. Question number two. What books, podcasts, or mentors have had the most profound impact on your personal growth and leadership journey? Uh, could you share a specific lesson or concept that resonated with you? So, I mean, obviously, Dr. Joe Dispenza has been the most recent teacher that has really impacted me, but I've actually made a, suge a suggestion, a suggestion to myself. No, I've made a decision to myself to actually start doing other forms of development. And uh, so I'm now exploring other forms, but if I had to talk about another one, and it's not a podcast or a book, it's the teacher plant called Ayahuasca. And um, it's definitely not for everybody. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a process that you need to go through that is quite, it's, it's, I don't say it's harsh, but it's, it's work. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the shamans we used to drink with, he used to call it spiritual surgery. And, you know, surgery is never a fun process. The results are always fun. You hope they are. But with ayahuasca, and I've done, I've done ayahuasca since 2011, and so that's 12 years or 13 years of ayahuasca. It's about 50 or 60 different ceremonies that I've done. I'm also not doing ayahuasca anymore because I've gone through that journey already. But if it is something that you're wanting to explore, I cannot recommend it highly enough because what it does to you, it, it secretes DMT into your brain and into your body. And DMT is called the soul molecule or the God molecule. And what this molecule does, it, it, it takes you back to where you come from in some ways. And in the process of going back to where you come from, your guide in the process is Mother Ayahuasca, the feminine energy of this plant that comes from the Amazon. She has been teaching and helping humans for eons of time. We don't know how long, but only over the last 20 or 30 years that should become available to the Western society. Before that, it's been quite held in secret in the South American uh, tribes. And I think it's because the Western people just didn't have the consciousness or the capacity to deal with those things. And as consciousness is starting to rise, we are starting getting access to these tools. 
And in the process of you going back to where you come from and you have this guide of a feminine mother ayahuasca, and if you Google it, you'll see that most people see a similar spirit. She is your guide. But what she does, which I think is by far the most important thing, is she shows you that many of your stories and many of your memories that you've held on to for most of your life without maybe even realizing that you've been holding on to them are false. They're just subjective stories that somehow a six-year-old version of you, an eight-year-old version, a three-year-old version of you decided that that is what life is about and now has created an identity and is following patterning that is sometimes, if not always, not kind to yourself. And she recalibrates these memories and stories. And in that process, you have the spiritual surgery because subconsciously it repatterns you. And it's been a very, very powerful tool that many of my friends and I have been doing together for many years. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not drinking ayahuasca anymore, but really she was a fascinating and fantastic uh, teacher and guide that uh, I wish the whole world would have any ac access to. But like I said, I don't think it's for everybody. You know what's crazy is that, uh, to what you were just saying, is that we operate today on mental models and attitudes and beliefs that we created many, many years ago. And if I think of like the 10 year ago version of Eric, like that dude doesn't know much compared to who I am today. You know, he's not, as, he's not nearly as evolved. But think about the 20 years ago, Eric, even less so, but yet there are parts of me that still operate on what that guy did and what that guy believed and what that guy experienced and then ingrained I'm so, I still operate with some of the, some of his thinking and some of his beliefs. That's like, it's actually crazy to think about it like that. Look, uh, I'm part of an, a men's circle uh, with a guy called Gareth Pickering, um, who I've become friends with. South African guy lives in Guatemala. And there's something called the King's Playbook. And in the King's Playbook, what you do is you start to identify the little personalities that you've created to have moral standards, sexual standards, money standards, social standards. And as you start to identi identify these little characters, you start to realize these little characters are actually judging the world in front of you. And you're actually judging some of these personality traits and characters that you've created. And the exercise goes to you identifying them, naming them, and becoming friends with them. It's been the most amazing, amazing exercise. And I've only just started it. And I've already identified two personalities. I have little Farzad, which is a young version of me that really just wanted to impress my grandmother, my grandfather, my mother, who were very religious. And I wanted to be the squeaky clean model citizen for them and an incredibly judging little guy because anything that doesn't fit into his moral structure of what he was getting credit for from his family doesn't, doesn't work. And then I've got another character called Juan, who's my lover. And Juan has never really been accepted by me because I've kind of judged him because he goes against little Farzad. And yesterday I was on the plane, I was doing a meditation and all of a sudden I met Juan. I, did, I didn't even know about Juan. And because I've been doing this work, all of a sudden I met Juan and I invited Juan to sit with me. And Juan was really surprised. He was like, and his words were, are you sure you want me to sit with you? And I realized that I made Juan my enemy. And I didn't even know I'd made him my enemy because little Farzad is against Juan. And so what happens is you create moral standards 
and then you create other characters that are called your shadow characters that now bounce off against your moral character. And we've all got these. Like, I mean, it's a crazy, crazy thing. Anyway, as I finish this course, I will do a session on it at the expensive. The expensive, I mean, the emotional. Yeah. We'll do a, we'll do get, the get right, man. Get it right. <laughs> the expensive podcast. So, um, uh, yeah, anyway, identifying these characters, becoming friends with them, really is making friends with yourself. Really. People are so complex, man. We are all so complex. What do you mean people? We, we yeah, we, we, we are we, all we, so complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, so what's yours? On my what's side, your, um, what's your... and actually in, in reflecting on, on what I just said, you know, I, I realized why this book has been so important to me. Uh, the book that I've always gifted the most that I, I, at some point I literally bought about 10, 15 copies and I, I used to just give it away to people was Seth Godin's book, The Dip. And when I tell you about it, you'll see why actually, uh, like I've gravitated towards it. So in the book, The Dip, and it, Actually, I like the book so much, you know, when I wrote Dangerous, I modeled it on his book in terms of like the sizing of the book, the amount of pages in the book. I literally went and counted how many pages is in this book. And I wanted to model it because what I love about it is you can read it in one sitting and then you can go and do stuff with it. And, you know, Seth Godin has such a great way of writing that you are just like, you're just pulled deeper and deeper into it. And it just feels so effortless to read your stuff. So it's always a book that you can finish in very quick sitting, and then just go and do something with it. But the main premise of the book is that whenever we start something new, there's always a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for the thing. And you feel like you make a lot of progress quickly. But then things slow down. Then you hit the dip. And the dip is when that excitement and that energy starts to wane. It's when you're still making progress, but it's a lot less and in that moment, you need to decide whether you are going to persevere or whether you're going to quit. And persevering is sometimes the right thing to do because it gets you to the other side and it gives you a disproportionate advantage because other, others won't make it through the dip, right? They'll quit. And so you persevering in that moment means you get to the other side and you have more value because of it. And you can think of this in, in any way, right? Like you've gone through the dip with your speaking over the years and you've had to grind and graft and get to the other side where now your, your speaking career is successful. And that gives you an advantage compared to those who are starting, who are still in the dip. So, so that's one part of it. But the other part is you also need to decide, is this the right thing? And maybe it's not. And what he always says in the book is, don't make that decision from a place of panic. If you're panicked, you are emotional. You're not thinking rationally your only guiding light should be, is this going to be worth the effort? So if I persevere and I do get to the other side, is it going to be worth me toiling and grafting to get through it? And when you think of any skill that we are trying to, to learn, and this is actually, you know, it's great advice for when you're starting a business, when you're starting a relationship, when you're starting or trying to learn a new skill, is that it's always, you know, super exciting to put the logo together and to look for the name and to register the domain and, and like to get your website designed. All that stuff feels great. And it's like you are on a high and you are moving quickly. And then you get your first customer and your second customer and it's like, it's your friends and family. And then all of a sudden you hit like this dry spell and like, you're like, where, where have my customers gone? You know, you've exhausted your initial base of people and now you have to start working through that dip. And what this tells us is that you can always expect it. It's always going to be there. And so actually what that allows you to do is 
before you enter and start something new, know that there's going to be a dip and ask yourself before you even start, am I going to be willing to persevere when that dip arrives? And then secondly is know that the dip is there to make you better. That by working through it, you get to the other side and you get to be more valuable because you went through that, that difficult and that hard time. Um, so, and you can see like, obviously like every time I started something new, that's exactly what happened. I, I came off the high. I, I actually worked my way through the dip in, in most of those cases. And then I started at, at the bottom again. And so I can actually see why this book resonated for me so much. But that's my, my favorite book. He says the dip creates scarcity and scarcity creates value. Yeah, I mean, Seth Godin also had a huge impact on me. I read The, the Purple Cow and it affected me so much. Eh? Wow, I remember reciting what I'd learned in The Purple Cow for years. It was just so brilliant. He's, so, he's such a genius, that guy. So, okay, good. The dip, I like it. Let's go to the third question. So the third question in, is uh, both of you have accomplished a lot in your careers. What drives your passion? Thank you, ChatGPT. Uh, what drives your passion for helping others? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> just read that part again. Read that part again. Let me just unpack that part. <laughs> so uh, both of you have accomplished a lot in your careers. What drives your passion for helping others grow and succeed? Is there a particular moment or realization that inspired your dedication to leadership and personal development? It's... Um, I think, I think the real joy for me is seeing people go through the process of aha moments because I've gone through those aha moments. So I can't speak or write about anything I haven't really experienced myself. And when I came to the realization that I was stuck in a drama triangle feeling sorry for myself, feeling angry with the world or feeling sad for the world. It was such an aha moment for me. I remember like, like I, I couldn't believe that I'd been stuck in the cycle for so long. And when I started speaking about that cycle and still when I speak about that cycle to people, they are like, oh my God, I can't believe this. In fact, a lady came to me yesterday after the talk and she said to me, John, it felt like you were talking directly to me. I was like, you know what? Most people say that. And the reason is, is that most of us are suffering from the same things. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's explaining it in a simplified form. And I think my biggest joy is bringing a level of responsibility to people to realize the stuckness that they have without realizing they're being stuck and actually feeling empowered that they can get themselves out of it. And that is just the biggest gift you can give yourself and then in an audience term, doing it with funny jokes and doing it with this idea that we're all in the same flipping boat together. You, I'm not alone. I'm also in this boat together and you're in this boat with me. And because we have a human condition and this is what the rise of consciousness and evolution means is a deep sense of responsibility and self-awareness. And so I guise it under futurism because I actually think that the future requires you to be a better version of yourself. It's got obviously got to do with AI and blockchain and all these things. But if you're arriving at this future, angry, victim, upset, like what's the point? So what, what if I tell you about AI, but you're coming at it from a victim mindset? It doesn't even work. So my deepest passion is firstly having the realizations within myself, digesting it and ingesting it and then writing about it and talking about it and then seeing other people have this ripple effect 
based on my own level of awareness. And so this has become my journey is how much can I evolve myself so I can teach more? And then in that process of teaching, find my biggest joy of the ripple effect and then go back again to find the next level of consciousness and awareness. And so my friend once said to me, he said, I don't think you... Uh, I don't think you actually use the money from your talks for your development practices. I think what you do is you do development practices as your main thing and do the talk so you can subsidize your personal development. It was like, he showed me, there was like totally different way of that when I'm doing things. And I was like, wow. I, I, also think think I've ever, well, I don't think I've ever had a moment where I was like, I, I want to be in service of people. It's always just been like that as far as I can remember. And I think a big reason for that might be that that's what my parents have done is that I am in some ways the perfect amalgamation of what my parents have done. My dad is a, or used to be a pastor. My mom is a psychologist. And in some ways I've become a preacher about leadership and collaboration and development, right? I get up, I get up on stage. I speak to the congregation about how to be better leaders and how to cultivate and, and foster better teens. So, and, and even if you look at the tra trajectory of my career, physio was helping people physically get from a place to a better place, from injury to health. Um, and actually in physio, there's a lot of mental support as well. Actually, like when you look at it, it's actually, you have to have both. Better man was about how do we become better men? And that's where I'm at today as well, is how do we move leaders and teams from where they are to where they could be? So that's always been a part of my DNA. And I don't know if there's ever been a specific catalyst for it. I think maybe it's been modeled for me since I was very young. And that just became my natural stance. I was on a podcast interview, I think yesterday or the day before, and the guy asked me about legacy. And legacy for me is quite a loaded word because I think it's one of those words that we, we struggle with a lot and that it becomes like this, it becomes this thing that creates frustration and anxiety for us because we get so caught up in what legacy am I going to leave? And actually when I think about it, and this isn't a, like, it's not a terrible thing to say, is, is that I think most people don't leave a legacy, is that your, your memory lives on in the people that you were in contact with for one generation and then it's gone. Then, you know, there's that one thing from that, that one song that says you died twice, uh, the day that you die and the day that your name is spoken for the last time. And I think for, mo for many people, most people, that happens within one generation. So you don't really leave a legacy. You leave like a memory in the, in the lives of the people that, that you touched. And that's good enough. And I don't think we have to get upset and, and obsessed about building this big legacy. I think what we can focus on is just bringing our best to the world every single day and making that impact today and changing lives today. And I feel like if I can do that, I'm always in a good space. Look, I think that question is what is your legacy and what is your purpose? Are these broad, flippin' modern questions Huge. to ask. I hate them. Yeah. I don't like them either. What's your legacy? I don't know what's my legacy. I'm 48. I've got another 100 years to go. I don't know what the hell my legacy is going to be. What's my purpose? I don't know. Right now, my purpose is telling stories. I love it. Like, I don't know what my next purpose is going to be. 
So those sort of questions also like, they're so big and broad and bold. Like they don't actually mean anything really, to be honest. So, so difficult, you. man. Yeah. And, and people get caught up and wrapped up and they, they spend countless hours trying to answer this. And all it does is create more frustration and it takes you out of the present. It puts you into some like of future that you, you can't control anyway. And like, if you want to impact that future, rather just be present today and make better choices and decisions today. And, and that gets you there, you know? Absolutely. I Brother, agree with you 100%. Uh, this was a great episode of the emotional, emotional the expensive. expensive, the expansive. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm glad that we, you know, we, we call each other out on when energy isn't aligned in the pod, which is an important thing to yes, do. So yes. I'm glad we didn't record earlier in the week. Uh, we had the opportunity twice to do so. We postponed twice because we knew that we wouldn't bring our best to the pod. And that's what we wanted to do every single time is that Every time we get on here, we want to have fun. We want to be engaging. We want to deliver value. And I feel like we've done that today. And I don't think we would have done it earlier in the week. <laughs> it would have been a terrible yeah. pod. <laughs> two, two guys crying on a pod I mean, for like 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, trying, to, trying to keep it together was like, no, no. Yeah. This is, uh, Eric is like, in fact, the first time we tried to do this, halfway through the pod, I was like, Eric, Eric, like what? What? Eric, stop. Stop. <laughs> Let's just do this another time. And yeah. you were very gracious. You immediately said, you know what? Thank you. Yes, I'm going to take that. I'm out. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. Uh, I'll close us off if you like. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us on The Expansive. Our numbers keep growing. Uh, we're so grateful that you're sharing this pod with people that you think could benefit from it. Um we always are looking at ways to bring more expansive personal development as well as business growth. And every week we're looking at new topics to talk about. If there's any topics that you would like us to talk about, please do reach out to us on social media or just email us. Uh, uh, everything's on the expansive.com uh, website. And we'd love to tap into the topics that you really want to hear about. Um, and as always, uh, we wish you an expansive week ahead, an emotional week ahead, and an expensive week ahead, all of the above. And until next week, ciao for now. <laughs>